Well, good morning again. Thank you all for being here. Uh, if y'all don't know me, I'm Pastor Lee. Like Trey said, I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm honored. I'm excited to be a part of this sermon series that kind of Trey and I are, are tag teaming. It's called Unpopular. Uh, and th- the idea for this series was to tackle some of the more unpopular things that Jesus said and did in his time here. And, and uh, like Trey said last week, our goal here is not to ruffle feathers. Our goal is not to be offensive for the sake of being offensive. Uh, that was never Jesus's intention, and so that's not ours. Uh, but Jesus was very concerned about preaching truth, to teaching the gospel, and so that's that's our goal here today. Uh, you know, and, and honestly, the word of God is offensive to the world, and it's offensive to the parts of us that have not yet been surrendered to Christ. Amen. It's easy to to uh, let those things upset us sometimes. So kind of our home base uh, for this series is 2 Corinthians 10.4. This is kind of underlying everything that we're talking about in this series. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So today we're gonna be in Mark 8. Mark 8, verses 27 through 34. This is one of Jesus's more unpopular Opinions. One of his unpopular teachings is this path to discipleship that we're all on requires us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. These are three things that every Christian needs to at some point address and wrestle with. Deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow, up, follow him. And uh, it wasn't a very um, a popular opinion then, and it's still not popular today. Uh, we are a self-absorbed culture. We are obsessed with ourselves. Uh, the, and these things stand in the way of our pursuit of Jesus and living the life that he modeled for us to live. Uh, so we're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say about all that. The way I've structured this sermon uh, is to take an expository look at this very important moment in Jesus' ministry. And we're just going to extract the meaning of the text. And then we're going to talk about and dig into the theme verse a little bit. And uh, we'll, we'll be on our way. Does that sound good? All right, cool. Before we get into that, I'm sure many of y'all have seen this uh, pop culture trend, unpopular opinions on social media. It's just a fun, lighthearted thing that people do. They, they share an unpopular opinion that they hold, and then you kind of talk about it and discuss it. And, and so what I want to do today is I'm going to share some of my unpopular opinions, and I want to get your feedback on it. So I'm going to share an unpopular opinion that I hold, and I want you to give me a thumbs up if you agree, thumbs down if you disagree. So I'm gonna make a statement that I hold, an opinion of mine. Give me a thumbs up if you agree, thumbs down if you disagree. And we're gonna just divide the room really nicely. It's gonna be great. Number one, winter is better than summer. I got some thumbs up on that, good, okay. Yeah, and along the same lines, number two, mountain vacations are better than beach vacations. I got some strong thumbs down on that one. (laughs) Number three, original M&Ms are better than peanut M&Ms. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And number four, possibly the most controversial of all, professional football is better than college football. Oh, yeah, thumbs down all the way. Yep, I see it. I see it. Yep. But those are my unpopular opinions. And, uh, you know, it's just fun to talk about those things and and to acknowledge them. Uh, Sometimes we're scared to share our unpopular opinions. 
Um, so now that I've made everybody a little bit like me, just a little bit less, uh, let's jump into this sermon. Uh, you know, Jesus had some similarly unpopular opinions. He had a habit of ruffling the feathers, again, not for the sake of it, but to speak truth. And, and it's because he was incredibly burdened by this message and purpose that he had. And so we're going to read Mark 8, verses 27 through 34, and kind of set the context of our theme verse today. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So let's read Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said all this quite openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. This is the word of God for the people of God. We say, thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for every person in the room, every person watching online. God, I believe you have us here for a purpose, Lord. Help us to not be offended. Help us to be challenged. May we honor your word today. May every word that I speak be truth, may it be honoring to you and honoring to your people. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So this scene that Jesus, is Jesus and the disciples, he's walking to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and at some point on their walk, he asks his disciples, who are people saying that I am? Now at this point in his ministry, he's gathered quite the following. He's become very well known. He's got thousands of people following if you back up in the chapter a little bit, you see the uh, feeding of the 5,000 story. And so we know that's kind of around that number, but he's, come, he's become very well known in every region he travels to. And so there's a lot of talk, a lot of talk among the people and the disciples are, are kind of hearing it. They're gauging what these people are saying. And so he's asking, oh, what's the word on the street? What are, we, what are you guys hearing? And the disciples respond, well, some are saying you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist and others just think you're a prophet. Now, this is not uh, reincarnation, you know, like we learn about in Hinduism, uh, but this is Elijah and John the Baptist representing prophets with political influence who would confront the corrupt Roman government oppressing the Jews. And uh, uh, others who saw Jesus as just another prophet, they're essentially denying his divinity. They're saying, he's just another prophet. We got Moses, we got Abraham, and now we got Jesus. And Jesus is cutting to the heart and he's saying, who do you say that I am? You guys, you who have traveled with me, you've heard my teachings, you've seen me perform miracle after miracle, who do you think that I am? And Peter speaks for the disciples. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. This is a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. Up until now, Jesus has not mentioned his death one time. His primary focus has been on the fact that he needs to know that his disciples know who he is, that he is the Messiah the Savior, the Son of God, the Christ. 
They must know his identity before they can know his purpose. They've got to know his identity before they know his purpose. And so after Peter's confession of, of saying that you are the Messiah, you're the Christ, Jesus promptly warns them not to tell anyone. Why? Why not tell? It seems like an important thing to tell, right? Well, the truth is, uh, this was considered blasphemy, right? And this was terms for death. We know that because that's what happened to Jesus, right? And so Jesus is protecting his disciples. He's saying, I'm so glad you understand this, but please keep this, keep this between the two of us just for now. And so now that he understands that they understand his identity, now he's saying, okay, now we can talk about my purpose. And that's exactly what he do, does in the very next passage. He says he's gonna go through great suffering, be rejected by the spiritual leaders. Then Peter G takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. He's saying, no, 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 don't say that. I don't like that. This is not very popular for you to say. Listen, we got thousands of people here listening to you. This is not gonna go over well. I don't like that. And what's so striking about this is that Peter, so in one moment, is making a great statement of faith, saying, you are the Christ. And in the very next moment, he is in contradiction uh, to the truth of God. He's rebuking Jesus. One moment he's a rock, and the next he's a stumbling block. And we ask, how could this happen? Uh, Jesus says it happens because he has set his mind on human things instead of divine things. He's not thinking about the things of God. He's not taking his thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. And I believe Peter meant well, but he became focused on protecting Jesus and his idea of what Jesus was supposed to be. This week, William, our, our youngest child, uh, had a surgery, very minor surgery, uh, but because he's special needs, you know, he just has a harder time with it, recovering and all that. And then the very next day, we had a leak in our floor, and it caused mold, and so now our, our whole kitchen is just kind of in shambles right now and uh, un, not really functioning. And so we've got this kid trying to recover and heal, and then we've got our house is kind of a wreck right now. And, and uh, just to be honest, I didn't always have a great attitude about it this week, you know. Uh, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in these negative thought patterns that we have and I caught myself ad adopting this victim mentality, complaining about how I can't use the kitchen and we can't afford to eat out and how much is this going to cost. And I'm worried about William's health and, and thinking about the future and feeling bad that he has to go through this and, and all the things, right? You guys know all the things, right? They run through our head. But there's a psychological technique that we learn called a reframe. It's a reframe. And, and, and we use this in crisis intervention and other therapies. And, and the way I think about a reframe is simply what it's saying. It's like if you took a picture that you've had in a frame for years, take that picture out and put it in a new frame, it looks completely different. It's the same picture, but it looks totally different now that it's in a new frame. And I think that's what uh, part of what Jesus is talking about here is set your mind on things that are divine. He's saying reframe. Don't adopt that victim mentality. Don't get discouraged. He's saying reframe it. And so, the, and when we do that, we're able to see the situation, the circumstance more objectively and more honoring of what really is happening. It doesn't mean we, we deny it. It doesn't mean we bury our emotions. But by reframing a tough situation, I'm acknowledging that one, I have power over this situation. And two, there is a greater truth that I'm now able to see if I reframe. 
And so with a refrain, I'll, I'll remind myself the greater reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is this, that I have a son who is alive and happy and healthy. And he's taught me so much about life and what it means to be loved. And I have a house that's a home to my kids and that fits our family and provides all of our needs. And that's the divine perspective. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says we, we don't see things the same way that the world sees things. We can have a divine perspective. We're able to look at things differently. We can reframe it and not focus on the negative, but focus on not just the positive, but the divine. And so that's why Jesus is rebuking Peter here. He says, you've got your mind set on humanly things. You're thinking like they think, and I'm calling you to think higher than that, to remember that there's a greater reality to focus on. That's why it's so important that we continually allow our minds to be renewed by the Holy Spirit so that we can be sure that we are aligned with God's plans and perspectives to have our minds set on divine things. So he and Peter are over here having a word. You got the crowd over there, and he and Peter are having some words. Peter's rebuking Jesus, which is bold, right? And then Jesus is rebuking him back in return. He's saying, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking correctly. So this is the context in which Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, if any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. Let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. The word any here is different. He's saying, if any wish to come after me, it's important. You know what any means in Greek? Any. It means any. It means all. It means that anyone is welcome to come and pursue Jesus, to pursue this discipleship. He's inviting any and all to come after him. But there are some requirements. Now, please hear me say that this is not salvation language. This is not a requirement for salvation. He's not saying if you failed yesterday at denying yourself, picking up your cross and following me, then you've lost your salvation. That is not what we're talking about here. This is discipleship language. This is discipleship language. This is Jesus asking, how serious are you? How serious are you? So first he says, if any come after me, you should, number one, deny yourself. Deny yourself. John Piper says, the call for self-denial teaches the pursuit of satisfaction in God. You see, when we deny ourselves and what we think we need to be happy, we learn that God is where our true satisfaction lies. Our joy, our love, our satisfaction, our peace is in God. So let's pursue it where it is. The reason God asks us to deny ourselves is not because he's wanting us to be self-loathing people. This is not a call to be a pacifist, to be a pushover. He asks us to deny ourselves because we have an overwhelming tendency, a natural instinct for self-focus. Me, 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 everything I want to do. Our natural state when we wake up in the morning is to be focused on ourselves, what we want, our plans for the day. And Jesus is saying that that does not lead to satisfaction. Deny yourself. As, as a husband, denying myself means that I'm to, to love and serve my wife every day and put my, her needs above my own. It, mean, it means as a wife that you honor and respect your husband even when you don't think he's being very honorable or respectable. 
And it's not because he deserves it. It's because denying yourself in those moments produces a deep satisfaction within us. Are you ready for some wonderful pastorly wisdom? Pursuing joy and satisfaction in the things of this world is like going to Taco Bell looking for a Big Mac. <laughs> yep. Put that on a bumper sticker. My wife says that I can't talk about Taco Bell in every sermon. I was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> but part of this self-centered culture that I mentioned earlier causes us to say things like, I, I need to find myself. You ever heard anybody say that? I need to find myself. No, Jesus is saying you need to lose yourself. We follow the one who said, love not your life even unto death. We say things like, well, do, do what makes you happy. Do what's right for you. But we know that true joy comes through a life surrendered to God and in daily service to those around us. And honestly, there's relief in denying ourselves, right? It, it kind of takes the pressure off of us. The pressure to produce is no longer on me. It's on God. I don't have to keep up with the Joneses anymore. I don't have to keep up with the standard. My standard, my goal is self-denial. Your standard, your goal as a Christian is self-denial. Galatians 2.20, this is my favorite verse, my life verse. For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, for Christ lives in me. So number one, we deny ourselves. Number two, pick up your cross. Number two, pick up your cross. This is Jesus' first recorded mention of a cross. You probably know that Jesus died on a cross, and you probably know that Jesus was not the only one to ever die on a cross. This was a very popular Roman form of torture. Uh, it was public humiliation and death reserved only for the most egregious crimes. And so the crowd that Jesus is speaking to, the thousands and his disciples, they would have known this. It would have, been, it would have brought to mind images and maybe even memories of seeing cri uh, criminals put to death in this terrible way. It would have been so unpopular for Jesus to imply that this is an expectation of someone following him. Now, I think it's significant that Jesus says to pick up your cross. He's not asking us to pick up his cross. His cross was death for salvation for mankind. And that's not a cross that we can carry, right? This is our cross. Pick up our cross. But this cross language evokes imagery of public death. And it's not necessarily martyrdom, but it is death to selfish desires. It is life to sacrificial living and it's resisting natural tendencies to self-seeking behavior and thoughts. Have you ever said or heard someone say, oh, this is my cross to bear. This is my cross to bear. No, your cross to bear is not your health problems. It's not your unruly kids. It's not your disgruntled spouse, whatever you can put in the blank there. Your cross is putting death to all that is earthly inside of you. All of this sin nature that we have, we've got to put death to that recognizing that Jesus is not just foreshadowing his death here. He's calling us to kill everything within us that's not lining up with his life and his teaching. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. And finally, number three, follow him. Follow him. This is a call above comfortable Christianity. In my experience, following Jesus is rarely comfortable to go where he tells us to go, to do what he tells us to do, to be obedient even when it's difficult. It's Jesus saying, see what I'm doing? Do that. 
You see me laying hands on them and healing them. Do that. Do you hear me speaking truth even when it's not popular? Do that. Did you see me lay my life down to love and serve others? Do that. Following Jesus does not necessarily mean we give up our day job. It doesn't mean we gotta go live in a third world country as a missionary. Following him doesn't mean that we don't better ourselves. We don't pursue our dreams and ambitions. It just means that we submit ourselves to God knowing that he probably has something better. The question here is, are you willing? Are you willing to surrender to that, to follow him? Trey and I had a great conversation this week about this uh, subject, and, and it's like we, we talked about how you can't follow someone that you don't trust, and you can't trust somebody that you don't know the character of, and we trust God because we know his character. We know God to be a good father, a loyal friend, a trusted confidant, a powerful warrior, and so we can trust him, and so we can follow him wherever he leads. One thing I've learned is that when I follow him, even when it's uncomfortable, when I obey his prompting, even when I really don't want to, he shows up every single time and he reminds me of his character, that he is there and he will never let me fail and that he's good. And these things that we talk about and we sing the songs and and we read these scriptures and it's no longer just a theory, it becomes reality when we follow him, when we obey him, even when it's awkward, even when it's uncomfortable, we follow him. And he shows us new things about himself. We surrender our will to his because we trust that he knows best, because we know his character. I wanna get in the habit of asking this question. If Jesus were living my life, what would he do? Remember the bracelets, WWJD? It's kind of like that. If, If Jesus were living Lee Alexander's life, what would he do? How would he react in this conversation? How would he respond? How, what would his eating habits be like? How would he sleep? How would he be a father and a husband? All these things. If Jesus were living my life, what would he do? So in closing, I want to ask you two questions. Number one, what in your life needs to be crucified today? Again, Jesus may not call you to to a third world country. He may not call you to anything extreme that we often think about are the spiritual highs, right? The, the spiritual superheroes that we look to. But what I do know he's calling you to is to crucify this tendency towards selfishness and self-centeredness that we're so bent toward every day. The best way we do that is to pursue him with, with all that we have and understanding that he is our greatest joy. Following him is our greatest satisfaction. I think about this story that we read in Mark, and, and uh, there are two groups of people walking with Jesus. You've got the disciples, and you've got the, the thousand, the crowd. One group knew who Jesus was. They knew he was Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. The other crowd didn't. And the truth is, later in Jesus' ministry, when things got hard, they ba- abandoned him. They left My second question is this, taking an honest look at your life, which crowd would you be in? Are you following him? Are you denying yourself? And are you picking up your cross? It may not be popular, but this is what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. Amen. Would you pray with me?
God, I pray that you would just convict us right now in this last song. God, we, we thank you that um, you are a good and loving father, that you, you give us everything we need to be able to, to live this discipleship life, to pick up our crosses and follow you. God, help us to, to be mindful of this, to, to look for ways that every day that we can be more like you. Lord, we wanna deny ourselves because our greatest satisfaction is not in self, it's in you. Lord, help us to pursue it where it is. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We need it every day. In Jesus' name, amen.